Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. We finally have a new head coach in the NFL. In finally. fact, more than one. I want to say this. In an offseason where there's been about a billion openings, the first job has been filled. And again, jobs, plural, are filling out. But why don't we start with the first? Despite the rumors out of Jacksonville, where it seemed like it was kind of a done deal. The first team is not Jacksonville to fill that spot, but rather Denver. According to just about every report under the sun, the Denver Broncos are hiring Nathaniel Hackett as their new head coach. And there is a scenario in which that's not just a good hire, but potentially one of the great hires. Fact, it's the rare head coaching hire where I actually cannot wait for the press conference because I hope that it includes outgoing team president of football ops, John Elway. And I hope that John Elway goes out of his way to thank a few people, namely John Elway. Good afternoon. Uh, I'd like to start out this uh, press conference with uh, a thank you to John Elway. You should, John Elway. John Elway should have started every single press conference by thanking John Elway. Thank you to John Elway. I'm Jim Rome. I want to thank Jim Rome for hosting the Jim Rome Show. Thank you to John Elway. Anyway, the hiring of Hackett is not just a story about the Broncos getting a new head coach. I mean, it is about that. But it's also about racing to the rumor mill to start cranking the hell out of that. Why? Thank you, Alvin. Crank it up, Alvy. Why? Well, do you know where Nathaniel Hackett has been coaching for the past few years. And do you know who he has been coaching for the past few years? And do you know who that guy reportedly has been thinking about playing for? Unless you've been under a rock, I will give you the answers in order. Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, the Denver Broncos. Denver, of course, has long been referenced as one of the potential destinations for Aaron Rodgers should he leave Green Bay. And now Denver has hired his offensive coordinator. I mean, what a bleeping dink! I don't think you need to be a rocket, <laughs> a rocket scientist to connect these dots. Aaron was already interested in Denver, potentially. And now his offensive coordinator is there running the show. Definitely. So maybe now Denver might be even more appealing to Aaron. And because the Broncos aren't in the NFC, it might be easier for Green Bay to stomach a move like that. Pull that off, and then Nathaniel Hackett is not just one of the better hires of the cycle. He might be one of the better hires in recent memory. Maybe. Look, I'll be real. I like Denver's chances of getting Rodgers more after last season than I did after this season. I mean, this, t- this time last year, everything pointed to Aaron wanting to get the hell out of Green Bay immediately and the Packers wanting to get him the hell out of Green Bay in a few months. But things obviously now feel different. Both sides have gone out of their way to say how much better things are now than they were then. Both sides have kind of gone out of their way to talk about the respect they have for one another. And there is a scenario in which you could see the Packers doing some clever salary cap math and bringing back some key pieces even if they just did blow their last best chance to get back to the Super Bowl and win. And if things are better now for Aaron, 
And he doesn't have this mission to change the narrative. You know, he doesn't have this burning desire to prove that, hey, I can do it someplace else. Or if he objectively were to look at the landscape and decide, you know what? There really is not a better situation than the one I currently have. I mean, he should look over the landscape, but he might look it over and decide there really isn't anything better than what I have right here. This might not be perfect, and it was a really disappointing way to end the season again. However, I'm looking around, and I'm not seeing a talent upgrade over the guys I'm currently with. Maybe he doesn't go. Or, then again, now that Hackett is in Denver... If you're Rodgers, you got to give it an extra look, right? You have to at least consider it, right? I mean, there is a lot to like about Denver. They've got a lot of young talent. They've got 50 mil in cap space. They've got 11 picks in this year's draft. And they now have your old offense coordinator. Like, if you've been with a team for nearly two decades, the biggest challenge in leaving is all the unknowns. The unknown organization, the unknown obstacles, the new faces, all the new variables. But when one of your guys is there and he's on top, that does eliminate a lot of the guesswork, right? Then you know the offense. Then you know the head coach. Then you know a lot of things going in that ordinarily you might not know. What I'm saying is Aaron Rodgers would be foolish not to at least consider it, you know, for a while. Now, does that mean he's going to end up in Denver? No. Far from a sure thing. Like I said, I do like Denver's chances, or I did, a lot more this time last year than right now. But there's always that chance. And that's a good thing for Denver. Like, even if it's only a 10% chance that they get Aaron Rodgers, 10% of Rodgers is better than anything, any of the crap the Broncos have thrown up against the wall at the quarterback position since Peyton took his five head into retirement. Like everybody cracks on the Browns for their quarterbacks, but check out this crew. Brock Osweiler got a look when Peyton was still there. Then you had Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch. And that was followed by the second coming of Brock Osweiler. Then a full season of Case Keenum. Then Joe Flacco. Hey! Hey! Drew Locke, Brandon Allen, Jeff Driscoll, Brett Rippon. And somehow that list could still get worse because last year the Broncos literally had zero quarterbacks for a game. Phillip Lindsay started a quarterback. Then wide receiver Kendall Hinton took it the rest of the way. Do you remember that? This year they went with Teddy Bridgewater and some more Drew Locke. Like, you hear a list like that, and I've got to say no thank you to John Elway. Joe Flacco passed his prime. The Brock Lobster who never had a prime. That is a crap load of guys in the last six years. No, that's not fair. Let me rephrase that. That's a load of crap in the last six years. Some guys who had been good at one point, and then a bunch of other guys who were never any good. And it's not like those stiffs haven't had talent around them. They have. The rest of the roster is pretty good. They just have not had a quarterback. They've got the cap space. They've got draft picks. They could make some noise if they could solve the one problem if they haven't been able to solve for years. And for the life of me, I will never, ever, ever understand this. I will never understand how John Elway, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, 
and genuinely a smart dude, a motivated dude. I will never understand how that guy could have his name in any way associated with Paxton Lynch. John Elway was the guy with the brain and the stones to pull the plug on Tim Tebow when nobody wanted that so he could get Peyton Manning. That was one of the smartest, most cold-blooded moves I have ever seen from a front office. Thank you it to was John genius. Elway. He should be thanking himself for that. Thank you to John Elway. And then somehow he's involved in bringing in Joe Flacco. Hey. This guy dropped Tebow like a sack of potatoes, brought in Mr. Potato Head himself, won a Super Bowl, and then it all ripped apart. It all fell apart. Like, I'm not saying that if you hire Hackett, that you do so solely because you might get a look at Aaron Rodgers. In fact, you better not be hiring that guy just for that reason. That'd be a terrible idea. But at the same time, getting a chance at Aaron sure doesn't hurt. And look, it's not like Hackett is a guy standing around at practice while Aaron Rodgers is slinging it. Hackett was in Jacksonville before Green Bay. He nearly got Blake Bortles to the Super Bowl. Hey, by the way, you tell me what's more wild. The fact that Blake Bortles was a play away from a Super Bowl, or the fact that Blake Bortles would be the best quarterback the Broncos have had since Peyton Manning. Again, I'm not saying you hire this guy just because he knows Rodgers. I'm saying it's a nice bonus. He should get the job because of who he is, not because of the guy he coaches. But it is a nice bonus, right? And if somehow he were to bring Rodgers to Denver, that would be one of the best hires ever. Let me ask you this. Can you see Hackett walking down the hallway and ending up in John Elway's corner office? Bangs on the door. John looks up. Hey, John, time to pick Rogers up from the airport. Hey, John, Giddy up, horse face. Mr. Rome. Giddy up, horse face. Come on, come on. I mean, say what you want. If this... If this guy can pull Aaron, Hackett can call Elway Horseface every day of the week. Horseface? Horseface? Giddy up! Come on, come on! Giddy up, Horseface! Come on! I like how he's got the... Giddy up, Horseface! Come on! Come on! Hell, anyway, I mean, as long as we're playing this game, for the sake of being really crazy... Giddy up! No, for the sake of being really crazy, if he were to pull Aaron, hey, you've seen this speculation about a package deal. How about Aaron and Devontae? Ho-ho. If he could pull Aaron and Devontae, Elway would probably let Hackett put a saddle right on his back and ride him to and from the parking lot. Hey, John, time to meet Mr. Rome. You did not. The sex in the city sound are all so healthy. Anyway, laugh all you want. It doesn't make any sense. No, this doesn't. I got eight more segments. Hey, listen, laugh all you want about this. But... It's about to get worse. <laughs> Laugh all you want about this, but who's going to be laughing during free agency? 
like the Broncos may seem like something of a long shot, may seem like something of a joke to some of you who don't know any better, but it was not, it was not that long ago that I had people calling into this program with tribute songs about their head coach. Do you remember that? We go to Temecula, Fred in Temecula. It's good to have you, Fred. How are you? Good. Hey, long time, first time. Hey, I got a song for you Raider fans. Ring, 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 ring. My team is orange, so beautiful, like the sun up in the skies. So when you meet a friendly horse, it would be Elway, but of course, Manning leading to the prize. Leaving Raiders fans to cry. What does Joe Brock say? What did John Fox say? Stay tuned next week. So many thoughts. So, so many thoughts. Number one, Alvin. I know it was, I know it was a different time. That time was 2013, and if I'm not mistaken, they got smoked by Seattle that year. Why did we run that guy? That, that's question number one. I mean, the second verse had to have been better than the first, and the first was already amazing. You find me one other show where that type of thing happens. <laughs> now, that hasn't happened since 2013, and I don't know where the time goes. Uh, it was... <laughs> Hey, Raider fan, why don't you tell that guy how how his ass tastes? How'd that taste, Raider fan? Him calling you out like that and then dropping that song on you. Incredible. <laughs> Quote, lyrically speaking, my, my man is John Lennon. Quote, when you meet a friendly horse, it's Elway, of course. Wow. And did you notice he started that call with like first time, long time? I don't recall if he ever called back, but that legend hopefully walked off on that because it'll never get any better than that. That was so weird and so awesome. Fred and Temecula. Temecula is now known for a couple of things. Daniel Jeremiah and Fred. And DJ, no offense, my brother, maybe not in that order. Brother. This dude better be the mayor of Temecula. He better be the president of Temecula. He better be the czar of Temecula. He better be the prime minister of Temecula. I, I forgot how awesome that was. So great. So, Denver gets their guy. And by getting their guy, maybe they hope that he gets his guy. Much like that guy had his guy... John Fox back in the day. Anyway, for our somewhat newer listeners, this is the type of thing that used to go on and still can. I so regret that we ran that guy. Even if I were to say to him right now, even if I were to find that guy right now and say, you know what, dude, it's time. It's time. You've had almost a decade to think about it. Give me that second verse. There's no way it could be as good. Times change. People change. There should be like a 30 for 30 on that song. That guy. 
I should do my own jungle dock on it. Good luck trying to work what did that Nathaniel Hackett say into a song. And now a message from Discover About Rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful, like cashback match, for instance. Discover matches all the cashback that you have earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. He is Gabriel Davis. Gabriel, first off, One, I want to thank you for your patience with our phones. Number two, I really respect and appreciate the fact that you're willing to come on today. How you doing? And how have the last few days been like for you, Gabriel? It's been it's been good. I mean, um, getting a lot of love from everybody, you know, um, you know, through the socials and and um, you know, just everybody else in the in, in the game, you know, respecting what I did the other night, and I'm just happy I was able to perform the way I did. Gabriel Davis joining us. You know, when you talk about getting all the love, you landed back in Buffalo after the flight home, and there were a bunch of fans to greet you at the airport. Not that we need any more proof about how strong the Bills Mafia is and how much love the Mafia has for the team, but what did that mean to you after such a challenging night? And what's that say about that fan base, that they were waiting for the team to return? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember remember um, not this past season, but the season before they did the same thing as well. Um, and I know that they got our backs no matter what, and I know they they, they trust this process, and, you know, one day we're going to be coming home, getting off a plane, off of a victory, and it's going to be something special. So just have to keep working, keep grinding. I know um, we're going to bring that day to them one day for sure. We were talking to Bill's wide receiver, Gabriel Davis. I know you were looking to win that game, but you did have one of the greatest individual games ever by a wide receiver. Given the moment, given the pressure of that game, given everything that was at stake, you kept coming through time and time and time again. Did it feel like you somehow got into a zone and were doing something special, or did it just feel like you were in another game looking to make a play? Um, you know, it, it it's a little bit of both. I mean, obviously, I'm – I'm ready for any opportunity that comes to me when it comes to that game. But once I, it was after that second one that I had caught, I just felt like, you know, when I was on that field, I was just unstoppable at that point. I feel like I can do anything. And I had a lot of confidence in um, in that game, which led to another two touchdowns. So, um, but, you know, I got to give thanks to, you know, obviously the old line for protecting Josh and us be able to throw me the ball. And then I have great players on the team that, you know, guys get doubled and it leaves me one-on-one opportunities. So it just helps me out even more to be able to um, have a bigger percentage of making the plays that I did. Talking to Gabriel Davis, that makes sense to me. You know, you mentioned your quarterback, Josh Allen. It seemed like every single time, in fact, it didn't seem like it was, but every single time that team needed a big play, he was coming to you. How would you describe the connection that you and he had on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I've just tried to show Josh all year that um, that he can trust me with with the ball um, when he throws it my way I can make a play um, and I've been trying to show that all year whether it was in practice or whether it was in games and me and Josh have uh, slowly grown this uh, slow connection of him being able to trust me when um, when it comes to making decisions on where to put the ball and you know it's definitely getting stronger and stronger 
Talking to Gabriel Davis, you know, I wonder, everybody watches Josh Allen and you see that crazy arm talent or whatever you want to call it. You see his mobility. You see his physicality. Like, I've never seen a quarterback run downhill like that and and give as good as he gets. Like, he's punishing dudes. As somebody who's in that same huddle, are these the things that make him special and set him apart, or is it something else? Um, first off, you know, Josh is just a natural-born competitor. He's a different guy when he gets on that field on Sunday. And... um he just wants to win. You can see it by the way he plays. You can see how, you know, a quarterback, you know, they're they're handing the ball off, they're throwing it. But, I mean, when you see this guy run, you can tell that he's trying to win the game. Um, he's really passionate about it. And you see that every single time you're out there. So, you know, Josh is definitely a different breed um, of, quarter, of, of a quarterback than you would think um, just by watching his play, how physical he is when it comes to running the football. And then, you know, the arm strength and the talent that he has and brings every single Sunday. Yeah, I think different breed is the best way to put it. He strikes me, at least on the outside looking in, as a different breed among different breed. So, Gabriel, what about the final 13 seconds? I mean, gut-wrenching. I'm curious, what was going through your mind watching that develop and what happened? What was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, scoring with the 13, um, thinking uh, we kind of solidified the win, but obviously you can't. Um, you know, feel that way until that clock hits zero, going against a team like the Chiefs. I mean, we knew this was going to be a scoring game. We have You have the two top offenses going against each other um, with two great defenses going against each other. So I, we knew it was going to be a shootout, and, you know, it didn't turn out our way. But, you know, these are the guys I want to rock with when it comes to um, playing this game, and, you know, I'm happy to be a part of this team. I appreciate that response very much. Just like I appreciate you coming on. How frustrating was it, though, to go to overtime and at least not get a, ch- a chance to even touch the ball in overtime? Yeah, once once we once it came to overtime, we knew whoever we had a I had a belief that whoever got the the coin toss um, would have a obviously a bigger chance of winning the game because they get the first drive. Um, but that's what it was because it was a game of the of the offenses that game that last game. I mean, we were, it was a full on shootout and got a lot of respect for those guys across the field um, that week and. You know, they're a great team, and, you know, they end up coming out with the win. But, again, like I said, and I'll keep saying it over and over again that, you know, these are the guys that I want to play with. I love all my teammates and everything we've been through. And, you know, this is a team I want to play for, and this is a team that, you know, I want to be fighting for when it comes to winning the Super Bowl. Gabriel Davis is joining us, and I'll say it again myself. I think that's a really classy response. You may tell me I'm wrong, but you said that whoever won the coin toss, you know, frankly, had a great likelihood of maybe going down the field. I don't know, Gabriel. Like, I felt watching that game again, just on the outside, whoever won that coin toss was probably going to win that game because those offenses were just unstoppable. That said, I understand that you know the rules going in. I understand that you had your chances in regulation. But knowing what you know and that you didn't even get a chance to touch the ball, maybe is it time to change that rule? Yeah, I mean, you know, if the coin flipped the other way and it would have been our ball, I mean, we wouldn't be talking about uh, if we wanted to change the rule, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it, 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 is, it, is a, it is a big change to the game with that. Um, you never give a team to get the opportunity to compete. Um, when it comes to that overtime rule. So if it did change, would I be against it? No, I wouldn't. Um, because, again, I mean, you got to give, you know, especially having a game like that, a shootout like that, I mean, to not even give the other team a chance to fight for it um, is heartbreaking because we put a lot of time, a lot of effort, um, and it was just, again, such a great game. Um, to, to end like that was 
you know, it was devastating. Gabriel Davis joining us. I, I guarantee if it had been flipped the other way and you guys went right down the field on them, I'm sure that some of them would be saying, hey, wait, come on now. That's not right. We didn't even get touched the ball. Gabriel, I'm going to ask you a really direct question. Yeah. You've made it a couple of times very clear, like, hey, listen, these are my guys. These are my guys. These are the guys I'm going to rock with. These are the guys I want to be with. And I get that. It just seems like, again, on the outside looking in, the chemistry of this team is amazing. Like, you guys love each other and will do anything for each other, pick each other up. But I want to ask you a direct question. When something like that happens, those 13 seconds, do you tip the hat to the other guy and say, look, they earned it. They deserve it. But is there any part of you that would question any of the coaching or play calling or anything? Like, is there any part of you that wants to say, hey, how did that happen? We need to talk about this. Or do you just move on? You just have to move on. You know, that's the game of football. No one's perfect in this game. Um, you know, and and I, I never want to point the finger at anybody when it comes to what could have happened or what should have happened or what could have been called or this and that. Again, I'll say it again, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, when you bring up the coaching. These guys have been around this game way longer than a lot of us. And they know they know what they're doing, and we put our trust in them, you know, because, you know, a lot of times, most of the time, we everybody's doing the right thing, and we end up coming out with a win. So, you know, just like if just like if I if I dropped the game when he touched down, I wouldn't want someone to put that on me as if it was my, you know, as if it was my as if it was my fault, even though that you know that happens all the time um, to players. So, you know, never want to point the finger at anybody. We're a team. This football game is. I mean, this game is a team sport, and, you know, if one if one fails, we all fail. My feeling is you were taking one of the more challenging situations in recent memory and handling it extremely well. Much respect for that. Do you feel like, and you're getting better and better and putting up more and more numbers, do you feel like maybe personal, you put the league on notice on Sunday, should people around the league be paying even more attention to you going forward? Yeah, I mean, when it came to that, you know, I just had to thank God for, that, for, that, for uh, this opportunity to be able to, you know, um, make history. I mean, I'm I'm in the I'm in the books next to some next to two Hall of Famers. One that I grew up idolizing, um, Larry Fitzgerald. So, you know, obviously now the league is on notice um, of what I can do. But again, that would have never happened if I didn't have the players that I had on the offensive side. When I talk about the O line, when I talk about a great quarterback like Josh Allen, but then you got to think I have Cole Beasley and and Stephon Diggs out there who have earned a reputation and earned a name out there on that field to to uh, take the focus off of me and, you know, guys like Emmanuel Sanders to give me the opportunity to go out there and, you know, win a one-on-one battle, you know. And I, I, I text Stephon uh, the other day, actually, yesterday, to thank him for, for, for giving me that game because he was getting doubled and I was one-on-one and, for him to have that type of reputation and Cole Beasley as well um, when we were all out there um, for those guys to be getting doubled in the situations for me to make a play. I mean, that, that, that's what it was. That was, that's what made the game for me so special. I think for a young player, you have a really unique mindset and a really unique perspective. And that's just me. But it's not just me. Like, you've been talking about Josh Allen. Before I let you go, Josh Allen said this of you. And I quote, Davis is a guy that always does the right things. Coming in, it doesn't feel like that he's only a second-year guy in the league. It feels like he's been here so much longer than that. I'm having a conversation with you right now, and you don't sound like a guy who's only a couple of years in. So I agree with him. 
Where does this maturity, the professionalism, and that perspective come from? Um, I just, uh, I know it's been my dream being in the NFL since I was nine years old. And, you know, like, unfortunately, when I was, um, when I was um, going into high school, when I was in high school, I was able to be at the Draft Academy over at Tom Shaw um, in Disney World in Orlando. And I was around Dak Prescott, Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, uh, Bruce Irvin, um, countless other guys as well. Um, that kind of showed me how to be a pro. And I kind of took that and I let that, um, I took that and learned from it and tried to do the best I can to uh, imitate that. And then also, I mean, no, like I said, again, no one's ever perfect. Um, I know this game could be taken away from me in a second. So I try to be as humble as possible and try to, you know, um, just keep my head down and keep working because I don't want to take this game for granted. And, it brings me a lot of great, a lot of happiness when I'm playing this game. So I just try to um, be positive, be humble, and remember, you know, just to have humility because one day you can be up and the next day you can be down. Um, the same way people are, are are on my side as as if I had this great game. If I could have a a terrible game and people can be riding me, you know, in a negative way. So I just try to, you know, stay on the same level, level-headed, and you know, just continue to try to do the best I can when I'm out there. I think this is a powerful, powerful message. I think that you have figured out some things that some guys never, ever figure out, and you've already figured it out at an early age. He's a Buffalo Bills wide receiver. He had an amazing game against Kansas City, a two-time all-conference player out of UCF. Gabriel, I mean this sincerely. Thank you very much. That's not an easy conversation to have, and especially after what happened. Much respect to you, much appreciation to you, and thank you very much. Great to have you on. Yes, sir. Thank you. Frank Martin. Frank, it has been a minute or two since you and I have spoken. There is so much to get caught up on, but how you doing right now, Frank? How is life for you right now? Oh, Jim, man, great to hear from you. I, I, I'd much rather have conversations with you than during the COVID lockdown. See all those great pictures you kept putting on social media, being on the lake up in Wisconsin somewhere. So it's, uh, um, but uh, no, it's, life is great right now, man. The last Two years have been a challenge for everybody, uh, myself included, and uh, I'm having I'm having the time of my life coaching this team I got right now. Man, I'm so happy to hear that, Frank. I'm so happy to hear that. You are the absolute best, and I appreciate you saying that about uh, northern Wisconsin. I didn't understand how great lake life was or that state was, but I do now. You know, the thing is, I know you're looking ahead, and I know you don't want to live relive what happened the last couple of years, but I think you make such a good point. It was just such a battle and such a challenge, and I do want to talk about this year's team. But when you look back on last season, it was so rough, Frank, for so many programs. But I'm going to say you guys. You guys might have been hit the worst of all. You personally contracted COVID twice. It triggered arthritis and alopecia. I mean, Frank, nobody's tougher than you. What was it like for you to go through that experience? It was hard. You know, Romy, it's, uh, I come uh, – I was funny. I was listening to someone speak the other day about uh, – I don't know. And my kids are educating me on Generation X and Z and all these different – groups of people and all of us that were born in the 60s and maybe early 70s you know we were taught that you don't complain you you answer the bell you get hit over the head you don't cry you you you, you go to work you don't create a scene I was beat up really bad last year it's uh and I don't say that because I'm here I'm lucky uh, so many people didn't make it I've I had my my mentor, my father figure in life, lost his life during the last year and a half, and um, so I 
I'm lucky. So I don't say that trying to for anybody to feel bad for me. But I was raised to answer the bell, and I tried, and I couldn't do it. And, and every decision I made to manage our team through COVID backfired. It was just one of those years where I couldn't do anything right. Every decision I made was wrong. And then I, you know, if I look in the rearview mirror, I probably should have called in sick and said, hey, man, I can't do this right now. My health is not where it needs to be. I didn't have the energy. Um, and, and, uh, and, and I couldn't help my team. And, uh, and, and it was a hard year. We were disrupted more uh, than any Power 5 school in the country. And, um, you know, it's hard to overcome, man. It's uh, uh, when your team is, is being hit by COVID and your team's locked down. And, you know, we have campus policies where if anybody was caught outside of uh, wherever they're isolating at, you're suspended from campus for a semester. Um, it made it really difficult. Guys couldn't work out, couldn't do anything, and uh, uh, created a lot of problems for our team and, and myself included. This is why I have such amazing affinity for you. I respect that so much, Frank. And as somebody born in the 60s, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, we just taught to grind. Man, you battle. You battle. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear it. But this is a different animal altogether, right? Like, I don't want to editorialize, but we're not talking about the flu. We're not talking about the cold. Especially when somebody like you is saying, this is the impact it had on me. I had no energy. I, I Just one more thing about that. When you go through that, at any point, Frank, did you doubt yourself or maybe even question at any point if you want to continue coaching? Did it ever get to that? Oh, no doubt, Romy. No doubt. It, it's because uh, it, I've been – What? I, anytime you go through an adverse situation, it, 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 all, all you have to do is stay strong and, and figure out a way to get through the moment. And then when you get through the moment, you reflect and you realize how lucky you are because you've got so much good. And, and that's what I was able to do. And what made it really hard was I, I couldn't do my job. Every decision I made was wrong. Uh, my team just lost its will to fight. And at the end of the day, I'm a fighter. And, and when my team doesn't fight, it hurts my feelings. And uh, by the end of the season, I was defeated. And, and, and I dealt with losing for the first time in my career. I'd never dealt with losing. I, it's not, you know, uh, you lose games, but I, I never dealt with a situation where everybody was defeated from the head coach down to the managers. And, um, um, it, it, you know, I, it took a couple of weeks when the season ended, uh, for, for me to take a deep breath and say, you know, you know, what the heck just happened? And, and what I realized is how lucky am I this year, 37 for me on the sideline. And it's the first time I'm exposed to losing. And, and I realized like, you know, take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. And, and then we got these transfers in and these kids have been incredible. They, they uplifted my spirit. They, uh, they came in here. We always talk about us old, you know, what geezers got to teach the young ones, man, if we pay attention, those young ones teach us too. And uh, those those guys uh, taught me to re-believe in myself and, and go out there and fight for them the same way that they fight for me. And that's what that's why I'm having the time of my life coaching this team right now. Freaking Frank. I love that so much. Frank Martin joining us. You know, it's obviously enthusiasm is a word that you've been using. And I can hear it in your voice right now. A lot of that's got to be you feel better, right? Physically, you feel better. But how much of that is about the new guys who've come in and the fact that you are learning from them like they're learning from you? Like, how much of the energy are you getting from the team itself? Oh, it's it's it. it I needed it. I, I've always been, you know, you become a head coach. And my, my, my father figure, who was my high school coach, he used to always tell me, Frank, always remember, 
the most important person in the room is the head coach. This was when I was played for him and I was his assistant coach. Always remember the most important person in the room is the head coach. So anytime you walk into the room as a head coach, you got to lead. You, you can't be vulnerable. You have to lead. You got to be tall and strong and give direction and give everyone the spirit that they need to go fight the next fight. And, uh, um, and, and not being able to do that last year was, was, was difficult. And, and that's where these transfers came in. And that, you know, when I was, re- and, and it's not just when they showed up is in the recruiting, uh, you know, when you're calling them and these kids are, you know, they're, they're men, they're young men. I call them kids cause I'm so old now that everyone is a kid next to me, but that you call them and they're like, coach, are you kidding me? It'd be an honor to play for you. I absolutely, I, I can't believe you're calling me. And, and I'm sitting there talking to these guys that have played at other schools and had success for very good coaches. And this is what they're telling me. And I, I'm sitting there saying, wait a second. I, I might like, I might want to coach this guy. And long story short, they show up and from day one, they, they fought. Uh, they've rekindled the spirit of our returning players of my staff and especially me. And, uh, uh, it, it's fun, man. It's fun when, when you're, you're around people that fight and when you got to force people to fight, uh, it's, it, it makes the job really difficult when you're around other fighters. It makes the job a whole lot of fun, at least for me. Frank Martin joining us. Frank, I got a couple of years on you, so I just want to respond. Uh, what I'm hearing is so real and so raw, and I want to be real and raw with you. You know, when we were younger, when we were younger, not that long ago, we're coming up, and we just wanted badly. Chip on the shoulder, do what you got to do. You battle, you grind, you fight, and you never doubt yourself. You just, you're in the battle every single day. And then as you get older, right, and you start to kind of understand mortality and you see what's going on around you, you know, I don't care how badly you want it. E- even the strongest leaders that everybody looked to can kind of lose their confidence. And then they got to find a way to reset, reboot, and get back their swagger, right? That's a challenge. How do you do that? I mean, I'm hearing it from you that I got it from some of these kids. And when I'm in the fight with other people who want to fight, then I want to fight too. But when you're that guy and you've never, ever doubted yourself, and for the first time you do, how do you get that back quickly? How do you get a quick reset? Is it possible? It's hard, man. Right. You, you got you to, gotta, your faith, you, you better have faith. Uh, you better have strong family values because those are the, the people that, 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 you know, they fight for you when you're young and then you fight for them to provide a better life for them and to, to uplift them and that connection. Um, and then, and then your team, uh, uh, it, it's all, uh, you, you got to keep your, your focus on where it matters and, and where, where the, the hardest thing is, is, you know, Romy, our, our age group, um, you know, we, we don't, you and I don't need social media to feel good. 20 year old kids, they need social media to feel good, but that attention to social media is not when, when, when you do something for a living that's judged on winning and losing the, the, the nonsense that comes on social media is pretty stupid. And, but these kids, that's part of their life. It is an important chapter in their life. And, and, and so you and I were taught like, you better just go please that guy over there that's giving you an opportunity. These kids are being raised to, to please the 10,000 followers that they've never met that they have on some platform, not what you and I got to say. And, and, and that's the difference. And I have to learn from them as to what stirs their pot, because what stirred my pot, they have no idea about, nor do they care. So I got to understand what stirs their pot so I can impact them. 
And then as I impact them, they in turn impact me. And that's, that's the, the, the beauty of, of being around young people is that I don't realize that I'm old and beat up till I look in the mirror uh, because I'm around young people all the time. So I feel young. And, uh, uh, and, and then I'm willing to learn uh, because like my, my two youngest kids like to tell me, uh, my generation has no idea about how the world works. And, and, and so I got to pay attention to those young ones so I can figure out what direction they're going. God, isn't that the truth, Frank? Like, I, I don't want this conversation to ever end. It's so true. I've got a college-age <laughs> son, Frank, and I've got a high school-age son. And they, they look at me, and I know they love me. I know they respect me. I know they respect the grind. But you can't tell me they don't look at my boomer ass and say, hey, listen, yo. Yeah, you, you're a pretty big deal, or you were, or you still kind of are, but I got some stuff I can teach you, but you and I know they do. They do. We have some stuff we can teach them, but we have some stuff to learn from them. So, Frank, finally, let me ask you, because you mentioned family, and you talked about the, the kids that came in, the players that came in, and what they meant to you. Well, your son, Brandon, played 12 minutes last night. It's his first season with the team after he transferred in. I mean, I can't even imagine what that must be like. What kind of conversation did you have with him prior to him coming in, and what's it been like to coach your son? Yeah, I, I, uh, he and I are different personalities. I'm, I, I like, I want things done now and, and he kind of does them, but he does them at his pace. And, uh, but he's a great kid. And, and he came to me in the spring and he, you know, their team where he was at got ravaged with COVID their head coach actually had to take the year off. And, um, uh, so they had a hard year just like we did. And in the spring he came to see me and I've never coached them. I don't coach my children. I try to be a father, not a coach to them. And, and he came to see me and he was like, dad, I, I want to transfer. Uh, my four best friends on the team are transferring. And I, I just, I, I don't want to be there and start from scratch again. So we got in that conversation. And then in those conversations, he says to me, it's always been my dream to play for you. And, you know, and I'm coming off the worst year of my career. And my son's telling me that that's what he wants to do. How do I, as a father, say no when I'm vulnerable? How the heck can I, if I can't trust my, I told my wife this, because my wife was always worried about, uh, you know, our our player-coach relationship impacting our father-son family relationship. And I told my wife, I said, I'm, I'm vulnerable right now. I've got to regain trust in the locker room. If I can't regain trust in the locker room through my son, then I'll never trust anybody ever again. And and uh, we agreed to do it, and I, I'm, I'm so proud of him because he's taken a step up in competition. Uh, he's earned his way on the court through his efforts, his commitment to, to working and, and trying to be a good teammate. Uh, the players respect him. I know as a coach I respect him, and as a dad I'm so, so proud of him, and he's helped me heal too as I try to do my job. Man, I'm so thrilled, Frank, that you and I – are such good friends. Well, I don't know if you consider me a good friend. I consider you a good friend, Frank. You and I have done this so many times. We've had so many amazing conversations over the years. This is one of my favorites ever. I am so glad to get caught up with you. So glad to have this conversation. I'm sorry it has to end, but I appreciate you, my man. That was absolutely incredible, Frank. You got it, Jim. Great, great. Let's let's do it more often, and then I promise you in the offseason, I'm going to come find you. I'm buying you dinner. He is Jonathan Jones. Jonathan, how are you? 
You know, it's been a been a busy day, but when you're an NFL reporter and it's a busy day in late January, that's a good thing. If you're not busy now, you may need to check your employment status. <laughs> Nailed that. Exactly. No truer statement ever. All right, so really quickly, it's been a busy day. Some of these coaching vacancies are being filled up. The Broncos, Nathaniel Hackett, the first one to pair up. What are your early thoughts on that fit for the team and the coach? Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, of course, is, is Aaron Rodgers. Um, and this is a, a, a quarterback and a team that have been linked ever since the night of the draft. Uh, this is a team that is very much interested in acquiring the talents of Aaron Rodgers, and we're going to see uh, if that is you know, reciprocated by Rodgers. He's going to be making that decision, as he says, sooner rather than later on whether he's going to continue or not. But with Nathaniel Hackett, as far as a head coach, you know, it's a we'll see. Obviously, um, the Broncos brass uh, believed what they heard from Nathaniel Hackett, who will be a first-time head coach. Uh, and uh, he very much has a close relationship with Aaron Rodgers. He has a defense that's in place. They have done a great job, George Payton, in his first year as general manager, of locking in some of that core talent uh, to contract extensions as well. So if they can get the quarterback – um, and obviously their sights will and are, will be in our set on Aaron Rodgers. They can absolutely compete in that division, but as we just saw this past season, without a quarterback, with a bridge quarterback like a Teddy Bridgewater, they will not be able to compete uh, in that division. Jonathan Jones joining us. So in terms of uh, Aaron Rodgers, it seems like the Packers have made it pretty clear that we want him back, and ultimately it's probably his decision as much or more than ours. Ultimately, what do you think it comes down to Aaron Rodgers? What will his decision come down to wherever he ends up? I mean, he obviously wants to be wanted, right? And I think that the Green Bay Packers have done all that they can to show him that. He has said very nice things about general manager Brian Gutekunst uh, in the past couple of months, whereas before training camp, he didn't have that many nice things to say about GM Brian Gutekunst. And so that relationship has repaired. And I would just caution Packers fans or fans everywhere against thinking that, well, just because that relationship has gotten a little bit better, that um, that, that means that he's going to move forward with the Green Bay Packers uh, after winning his second NFL MVP in a row. You know, this is a, a pretty legendary grudge holder in Aaron Rodgers. And this is a guy who, you know, if, if you can't get the job done with the number one overall seed in a home game against Tom Brady where he throws three interceptions last year, if you can't get the job done when you have the week off and you have a snowy Lambeau uh, against uh, the San Francisco 49ers this year, that maybe you start looking elsewhere and wondering if the grass is greener. And I know he says the grass is greener where you water it, but I'll just say Aaron Rodgers has been known to say a number of things uh, the past couple of months. Um, so I just wouldn't hang on to every single word that he is saying right now and think that it means something come mid-March in the start of free agency. Jonathan Jones joining us. All right, Jonathan, what about Chicago? What do you make of the decisions they've made? They bring in Ryan Poles, who quickly moves to hire Matt Eberflus. What do you think about those two decisions? Yeah, I think that Ryan Poles uh, can be a rock star in Chicago. I think that it is a fantastic hire. He's a guy who, if it wasn't going to be last year, it was certainly going to be this year was going to become a general manager somewhere. You know, there is no rubric, Jim, for uh, what makes a good GM to hire that person and what means that they will win multiple Super Bowls with their franchise, right? There are so many variables. But if you ask me who are the top two GM candidates who are out there going into this cycle, I would have told you it was Joe Shane, who was the first one picked up by the Giants. 
and I would have told you it was Ryan Poles. And so I think it's a really good hire for the Bears. When you look at Matt Eberfuss, you know, a defensive coordinator who uh, took the 30th-ranked defense and turned them into a perennial right around top 10, just inside, just outside of it for four years. Uh, he knows defense, but the next decision is a huge one for the Chicago Bears. They have to get that offensive coordinator who's going to be in Justin Fields' ear. I think they have to go with a veteran offensive coordinator as well because you're talking about a first-time GM. You're talking about a first-time head coach. Um, you do need to fill out that staff, whether it is your front office and executive staff or it's your coaching staff with guys who have been there and done that. That shouldn't be a blind spot for them. I would eye that for the, uh, for the next step for the Bears. Jonathan Jones, expertly covering a lot of ground. So what about Jacksonville? Now, they were the first to get rid of their head coach, so they had plenty of time to think about their decision. They had to jump on things, but you know, it looked like Byron Leftwich might be the guy, but now it doesn't look like he might be the guy. Jonathan, bottom line this. like When you look at Jacksonville, they've got a future franchise quarterback. They've got a ton of cap space. Herb was like the worst hire ever. Is that still a great job for a head coach? I mean, I don't see how it can be right now. You know, I mean, it, it is – I like the city of Jacksonville. I, I like a lot of the people who are in that building. And you do, as you mentioned, cap space. And you have a quarterback. You're going to have to add some speed on offense, particularly at the wide receiver position. But you do have resources, at least in the traditional NFL sense, that Shad Khan with – uh, Urban Meyer was willing to spend money on the facility, something they desperately needed to do. The unfortunate part, I think, for if you're a Jaguars fan, is Shad Khan is not showing that he has a network around the league that he listens to that can give him proper feedback. Um, and so I, what I mean to say by that is everyone around the league has been saying that Trent Baalke, as general manager, is not going to work. This is a guy who has survived any number of various coaching firings. This is a guy who fairly or unfairly has developed a reputation around the league. And I talk with folks in Jack Moe say, listen, whatever his rep is, I don't see that on a day-to-day -day basis here in Jacksonville. But if you're trying to make a hire from the outside and that is his reputation, well, that's real. And I think that's playing out right now where their three finalists, Byron Leftwich, whom I believe was in position to uh, take that job if he could get whatever sort of control he wanted to. And, and what's unclear to me is if that's control over the 53-man roster, if that was control over his coaching staff. Um, now that that has sort of moved away, well, Nathaniel Hackett, as we mentioned, um, Matt Eberflus, the other two finalists, they've gotten jobs. So the Jags are going to have to open the search back up if they can't come to an agreement with Byron Leftwich. And I'll just say this lastly, if Trent Baalke isn't going anywhere, and it certainly does not seem that he is, if they have already had this sort of friction and conflict, Byron Leftwich and Trent Baalke, before they've ever worked together, there is a 0.0% .0 chance that they will have success working together in the future. No doubt. Jonathan Jones joining us. All right, so quickly, let me get your lean. Looking ahead to the weekend, what are your early thoughts on Cincinnati v. Kansas City? I, I like the Chiefs here. Um, uh, you know, I know that was a draining game for them. I I've sort of uh, gone against the Bengals throughout this season. But we're talking about the better team with the better quarterback. All due respect to Joe Burrow and, and those guys there. But it's going to be Kansas City in the Super Bowl. What about here in Southern California? Niners, Rams, they're going to run it back. you got that rivalry, third time this year. How do you see that one playing out? I think this one's going to be a close one. When you look back at the last three games between these two teams, or excuse me, the, when they play in the second game over the last three years, it's been a three-point ball game. And I think that we're going to get another close one. It's hard for me to believe 
that the Niners, whom I believe are the inferior team top to bottom, but are just a more physical team, that they can actually win three out of three this season. So I'm leaning Rams here, but I also think it's because at the beginning of the season and at the midway point of the season, I had Chiefs-Rams in the Super Bowl, and I just want to see my preseason pick play out. No doubt. So finally, what about, like, there's so much going on right now as an NFL reporter, as you point out. What about the weekend? What does the weekend look like for you? You appear on the other pregame show on CBS Sports Network. What's the weekend look like for you personally? I'm based in Boston, and I don't know if you've heard this or not, Jim, but there's going to be quite a snowstorm coming up this way. I've heard that. uh, I'm going to make my way to New York City tomorrow, actually. Uh, And, you know, we're just going to keep following all of the news, uh, try to break some news at CBS Sports HQ, the 24-7 streaming site uh, at CBSSportsHQ.com, and then CBS Sports Network on Sunday from 10 to 12 as we bring the NFL Today guys in uh, there during that show as well. So looking forward for the weekend, uh, the games, all the rumors that are going around. It's a fun time. Jerome in Houston. My man, Jerome. How are you, dude? I'm doing fine, Jim. Uh, it's good to be back in the jungle. I uh, wanted to give a huge shout-out to you. I uh, have been uh, experimenting in, uh, I guess you say, podcasts, and I've been listening to the Jim Rome podcast for a while, and was uh, beginning to be a big fan of the uh, reinvention project and started listening. I listened to a few episodes. Um, the one that really struck me, though, that hit me home was the F25, where you just laid out yourself about what it's all about. And I'm going to tell you, um, it really hit home. Uh, realized that in my mid 60s, I ain't going to be around long if I don't do some reinventing myself. So. Anyway, I got into a alcohol treatment program, and, of course, there's no guarantees, but uh, I'm now about three weeks in, and it's seeming pretty good. I got, uh, let's see, 36 days sober and uh, working on that, so maybe uh, Slurone will be a thing of the past, I hope. Like I say, there's no guarantees. It's a lot more difficult than people think, but I just want to give that shout-out to you. I uh, wish that... Uh, I would have had those kind of thoughts uh, much younger or earlier than I did. But, uh, again, much, uh, much thanks. Jerome, my man, I, I am so proud of you. That is awesome. That is awesome. Listen, don't go anywhere. And I know what you're saying. When you say, I wish I had had those thoughts earlier, I'm going to shoot you straight, my guy. I wish I had had those thoughts earlier. That is part of why we're doing this whole thing, but it's not too late. It's never too late. So, and, I, and I can't imagine this is easy. How you feeling? You sound really good. How do you feel? Man, I feel great. I, uh, it's amazing. I've taken up new hobbies. Uh, of course, I always was a, kind of a big fisherman, but I've taken up new hobbies. One is cooking. I can actually make fried eggs that will talk to you. And it may not be a short conversation, but they will talk. <laughs> so uh, I'm working on a different uh, fact. I got some uh, cabbage and uh, and the sausage cooking, and uh, yeah, I'm having a blast. Um, and and I tell you what, every day is a challenge. I mean, there's not one day that goes by that I don't wish it. Man, I wish I had a little pop, you know, before this little meal. But it's it's not easy. I just uh, encourage people to. Just think about that. My man, I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you. Rack that phone call, Jerome. You are the best. Listen, you stay in touch. You and I will keep talking about that, but I want to respond to what I just heard. My man, Jerome in Houston.
Yeah, I'm going to retire the gloss Slurome. Omaha, Nebraska, Kathleen. Hey, Kathleen. Now is the time for Aaron to spread his wings of flames and sorrow, rise up and get the hell out of there. If he stays, it's just going to keep ending the same way. And I'm sick of people saying that Aaron can't get the job done. He can't rise up. He thinks he's the smartest man in the room. He can rise up. He can get it done. And he is the smartest man in the room. I just wish that he and I could trade places, meaning he will be the one turning 32 tomorrow and I take his place at 38. But we can't, so I'm 32. He stays at 38. Wichita, Brandon. Good to have you, Brandon. Yeah, how, how are you? How you doing, man? Good. How I about you? Wanted to call, I just wanted to call and tell you about this reinvention project. You got some people calling on here with alcohol problems and this and that. I've been sober for four and a half years. Right about that time is about about the when I found your show. And uh, you've been an inspiration ever since. On a daily basis, I listen to you. When I get into your uh, reinvention project podcast and get to listen to some of those guys, it has absolutely changed my whole mindset, the way I think, the way I produce every day. And I'm just internally grateful for it. And I just want to let you know that, man. It's, uh, it's powerful, powerful stuff. Four and a half years ago, I was homeless. Today, I own a new truck. I own my own home. And I own my own business. And with that kind of material that you get out to me, it, it helps me a lot, brother. I appreciate it. My man. Brandon, I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate that so much. That is incredible. Four and a half years ago, he was homeless? Good night now!